following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Psalm 19 The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speak, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent, or the sun which like a bridge room, coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, nor together righteous, that are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, is keeping them there is great Lord. John 2, 13-22 When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple court he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cods and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you do? Can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Good morning. My name is Jeff Hatton, and I worship here at St. Nick's, and it's my privilege this morning to um, to bring us uh, what I hope is God's word to us. Let's just pray then, shall we? Father, your word says of itself that it is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and so many other things. So I pray by your Holy Spirit, you will use this word this morning in each of our lives to accomplish what you wish to do. And I ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. 
About six weeks ago, uh, Richard took us through Jesus's very first miracle, the turning of water into wine. John records it was the first miraculous sign that Jesus performed. And that's a term that John uses um, so often throughout his gospel account. The things Jesus said, the things Jesus did, he saw them as signs, signs pointing to who this Jesus was. It was this first sign, the turning of water into wine, that um, caused the disciples to put their faith in him. That would take another three years and probably the rest of their lives like us to work out exactly what that means. So we fast forward in Jesus's time scale, a week or so, in our time scale, six weeks, to this account um, that's just been read for us. I want to look at this under three W headings. When, why, and what. So the first W, when. I wonder if as you heard that gospel passage being read this morning, you thought, hang on, John's got his chronology wrong. Matthew, Mark and Luke all put this at the end of Jesus's ministry. Um, the, the actions he, he carries out after the triumphal entry, the beginning of what we now call Holy Week. So who is right? Is John right in putting it right at the beginning? Or has he got it wrong and the other three gospel writers have got it right? There is always um, so many opinions on things like this. There are those who would say Jesus cleansed the temple on two occasions. Not quite sure I can go along with that one myself. Others will claim Matthew, Mark and Luke got it right and it should be at the end. And of course, there are those who claim John got it right and it should be at the beginning. I want to ask, has it got to be either or? One of my um, favourite genres of novels is a, a good crime thriller mystery. And I've just completed uh, a five book series under the heading of The Yorkshire Murders. All of the action takes place around Harrogate, Ripon, uh, the Yorkshire Dales. The main character is uh, a, a Yorkshireman, a detective, a really good lad um, in his 50s. And uh, I kind of see him as a, a Yorkshire Frost, as it were. His name's Aldroyd. And in the, in the books, the murder often seems impossible. It can't have been done. How did it? And so the rest of the book is Aldroyd picking things and finding things till eventually he tells us who did it. One of my older um, crime fighters that I like is Columbo. You may remember him, the scruffy American cop. If Columbo was um, investigating exactly the same murder, we would know within the first 10 minutes who did it, where they did it, how they did it, and the rest of the film would be Columbo uh, working that out. 
it's the same story but different ways of approaching it so does it have to be one or the other so I think with John it's not so much about chronology as theology it's in fact all four gospel writers agree this event took place Jesus cleared the temple John uses it here at the beginning of this ministry to further emphasize who this Jesus is the one who turns water into wine this man the one the disciples had started to put faith in was more than any mere man this man Jesus is the Messiah the Christ the act of cleaning the temple out is a fulfillment of prophecy and is in itself prophetic John records that at some point the disciples went hang on a minute doesn't it say something in the Psalms about a zeal for God's house of prayer this is what we're seeing here so I think John puts it here right at the beginning to build upon who this Jesus is so the rest of the story is based upon this man and his authority his power so the next W is why why did Jesus do this why did he act in this way it's Passover the most important festival within the Jewish calendar every male who lived within a 20 mile radius of Jerusalem was expected to attend Passover if they lived further out they were expected to go at least once in their lifetime hundreds of thousands flock into Jerusalem and amongst those who flock there were Gentiles, non-Jewish people but, but people who had believed in the Jewish God without becoming Jews themselves called God-fearers and they would have come from all over the then known world I want to read just a little bit of a prophecy um, from Isaiah foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord and to worship him all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations so the Gentiles were to be welcomed there to worship God to pray in peace and quiet being Gentiles however they were not allowed beyond the outer court what was known as the Gentile court the court of the Gentiles only this time when Jesus is there those Gentiles who wanted to worship God who wanted to pray couldn't the place was like a cattle market so full of, of, of ox, of sheep, of pigeons 
the associated smells and noises, the owners of those animals, the, the money changers. Every household had to take an animal to sacrifice, the minimum being two pigeons. But of course it wasn't as simple as that because the animals had to be perfect, spotless. And of course when they were examined by the priests, none of them, none of them passed the test mark. And so that family had to then go and buy from those same priests, from the same sellers, an animal that was deemed perfect. And yeah, that was always going to cost more than it was worth. Whilst they were in the temple, they had to pay the temple tax. That couldn't be paid in the usual coinage of the day. It had to be a specific coin. And yet, no surprise again, that in changing from the common currency to the temple currency, there was a massive hike. Exorbitant rates were charged. So all that was going on as these Gentiles came to worship, to pray, was noise and smell and commerce. In the outer temple of the court then, if worship is at all possible, it was anything but quiet, holy, honouring to God. Seeing, hearing, yes, smelling all of this, Jesus got angry. Yes, Jesus got angry. No, he didn't lose his temper. He didn't spit his dummy out in some kind of hissy fit. But this anger was real, thought through, controlled. Jesus even took uh, some cords to make a whip to drive out the animals and probably a few of their owners. He overturned the tables where the money changes sat. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? Get out, take your animals, take your coins with you. Try and imagine the scene. It would have been chaotic, noisy, probably dangerous as animals and humans scattered in every direction. This action then raises questions about Jesus's authority. If the first sign, the turning of water into wine, shows Jesus's authority over the natural world, in, in a way, this cleansing of the temple shows his authority over the religious world, the things of God. As I looked at this passage, I saw more and more why John puts this event right at the outset of our Lord's ministry. It shows Jesus' authority in all things. It points to who he is, the promised one. It foretells of things to come, of death and resurrection. And the rest of John's Gospel is the working out of all that this means. So our final W then, we come to what? 
what has this event from 2,000 years ago got to do with you and me here in lockdown in Lent in the 21st century? One of the things as we read the Gospels that becomes apparent is Jesus's um, central on worship of God was paramount to what Jesus did and said. Anything that makes that worship any less real detracts from it, takes precedence over it or makes it into a ritual is what Jesus wants people to be set free from, wants me, wants you to be set free from. St Paul in his first letter to the church at Corinth reminds us that as believers our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. If that is so, and I believe it is, may I suggest that in this, the third week of Lent, perhaps we could spend some time asking the Lord by his Holy Spirit, is there anything in our lives that waters down our worship, makes it less real? Has it become a bit ritual, especially in this lockdown when we miss so much that helps us worship? Is there anything that Jesus wants to cleanse this temple from, wants to, to drive out, to, to overturn some of our tables, perhaps. Maybe asking Father to do some early spring cleaning that we might, as Jesus will teach soon in John's Gospel, worship God more perfectly in spirit and in truth. To his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.